Hi there, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from the Global Bold Brave Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. And today we have another very special guest with us today, and our subject is going to be on the toxic chemical called glyphosate, which many of you have heard of. It's in the, um, you know, a, a weed killer called Roundup, but it's in our food and our water sources today. And we really want to make sure, I watched, wanted to make sure that you were very aware of this because it is definitely a trigger, can be a trigger for autism and neurological issues. And today we have a very special guest uh, who is a specialist in this particular chemical. So you can get all the information you need, learn about how you can uh, help prevent it, uh, prevent yourself from getting worse or protect your children and how you can actually help to get it out of your body a little bit. So I'm going to give you a short biography. We have Dr. Stephanie Seneff here. She is is a senior research scientist at MIT's Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence Laboratory in Cambridge, Massachusetts. She has a bachelor's degree from MIT in biology and a PhD from MIT in electrical engineering and computer science. Her recent interests have focused on the role of toxic chemicals and micronutrient deficiencies in health and disease, with a special emphasis on the pervasive herbicide Roundup and the mineral sulfur. She's authored authored over two dozen peer-reviewed journal papers over the past few years on these topics. And um, we're um, very, very happy to have you with us today, Dr. Steneff. So welcome and thank you for being here. Delighted to be here. So some of the some of our listeners, this, this show is largely for uh, parents of children with autism. Though we we have a lot of people who want to know about holistic health who listen in. I know that, and I forgot to say, as usual, everyone, I have created a page on my website. So if you're driving or you can't don't have a pen, you know, and we say we give you some links. Uh, I want to make sure you know where you can go to find everything you need when the show's over. Uh, NaturallyRecoveringAutism.com forward slash SS for Stephanie Seneff. So uh, that will be the page that you'll be able to um, to, to get any links that we refer to uh, in this episode. So Dr. Seneff, a lot of people listening might not really be aware of even what glyphosate is and why it's also why it's such a concern for our, our health. So can you give us some background on it? Uh, yes. In fact, I didn't know what glyphosate was either, uh, you know, six or seven years ago. So it was quite an eye opener for me when I just came upon it. I was trying to find what was the key environmental trigger for autism, and I was frustrated with my inability to figure it out because I knew it was something that was disrupting the gut microbes, but I couldn't figure out what it was until I happened to hear this lecture by Professor Don Huber, who's a retired professor from Purdue University, about this thing called glyphosate, and it turns out it's all over the food supply. We use it uh, routinely on our yards, for example, to kill dandelions, in Roundup, people probably know about Roundup, which is a very popular herbicide to use uh, to, con- to make your lawn look beautiful. Uh, Roundup is supposed to be uh, a wonderful herbicide, kills all plants except for those that have been engineered to resist it, and that's these uh, GMO uh, crops like corn and soy and canola, sugar beets. These are core crops of the, of the processed food industry. So those crops are happily sprayed with Roundup. They don't die. And they're the only plants that don't die. So something that kills all plants is, is not something trivial. And, and uh, the whole process of uh, regulatory approval was very shady. And this is all coming out now that Monsanto, who is the producer, uh, the manufacturer of glyphosate, 
um, did a lot of uh, shenanigans to get it past the approval process. And the EPA, you know, happily went along with their assertions that this stuff was fine when, in fact, it was not. And they even knew from Monsanto knew from its own studies that they, that it was problem. This was uh, hidden from uh, the evidence was concealed and nothing, you know, they managed to get it approved. So once it's been approved, it's just been the government's been very happy to have it. Um, are we still here? Yes. Yes, definitely. Uh, very happy to have it um, uh, widely used, and it's uh, very effective for the weeds, and so it makes uh, growing crops easier. And it's also used on many of the non-GMO crops, such as wheat and, and sugar cane and um, oats and uh, legumes, such as chickpeas and garbanzo beans. It's used on them right before the harvest more and more these days as a desiccant. And this is a, a really quite terrifying because it's showing up in very large concentrations in the foods that are derived from these pro- products, such as uh, wheat. And so uh, bread, you know, a lot of people have gluten intolerance these days, and I think it's directly linked to the glyphosate poisoning that they're getting when they eat uh, wheat-based products. Right. We see so much more of that um, gluten allergies, and people think, well, people didn't used to have gluten allergies. What's going on? And it's because our, scrub, our crops are being sprayed. It, it helps to dry them out um, so that they can, they can mill them faster and uh, get the product out faster. Isn't that, isn't that how they utilize it mostly? That's right. I mean, it's, it uh, makes it easier, too, for the combine to clear the field afterwards because the plant's dead, but it also makes it go to seed, so you, you often increase the yield. And you're often in the north, you're racing against the clock on the winter storm, so you need to catch the crop before the frost. So there's, you know, they have a lot of good reasons to use it, but what they're not appreciating is that it's toxic. And this is because they haven't been told that it's toxic because the governments are assuring us that it's safe. And the U.S. government is not even bothering to find out how much is in the food. It's actually through the efforts of various organizations like the Organic Consumer uh, Organization or Zen Honeycutt of Moms Across America. These people are taking the initiative to measure and find that glyphosate is widespread in our food supply. The U.S. government is being irresponsible about not even finding out if it's there, but it clearly is there. And as I said, the highest levels are showing up in these crops that are sprayed right before harvest. So when you see non-GMO, for example, Cheerios, you know, heart-friendly Cheerios, non-GMO, sounds like a terrific food for your children. It's got loads of glyphosate in it. It's a terrible thing for the children to be eating. And a lot of these common foods like um, Oreo cookies and goldfish crackers, these things are all showing up with glyphosate. So the kids are being poisoned by it on a regular basis. Well, they all contain wheat. So what yes. are some of the foods? So these these are obviously some of the foods. Can, is there a way that parents can find out what foods contain glyphosate in particular? Uh, I know there, there wasn't there a recent study that they did and they, they released it that uh, that had that had some of them listed? Yes, well, the Organic Consumer Organization reported on a number of different foods, and many of them are the common processed foods that kids love, uh, candies, you know, and um, and wheat-based products. And as I said, garbanzo beans and chickpeas, so for example, hummus, you really have to buy organic if you buy hummus. Uh, it sounds like a very healthy food, but it's not because it's got tons of glyphosate in it. Um, there's a person named Tony Mitra who's an activist in Ch- in Canada, He's currently in India, and he's making quite a uh, ruffus there. He's really letting the Indian people know about the toxicity of glyphosate. Canada makes a, uh, has huge crops of these um, garbanzo beans and chickpeas that they actually ship over to India, and the Indians are buying them from Canada, and they're loaded with glyphosate. The Canadian government has tested a large number of foods. Tony Mitra has published a book called Poison Foods of North, North America, quite uh, 
a good source for finding out exactly which foods to watch out for. I think it's very useful to get a sense of what foods you absolutely have to buy organic. I, in my household, we always buy organic when we shop at the grocery store. No exceptions. And I think that more and more people need to do that. That's a, a good way to cut back on your glyphosate load. Even the organics are not free of it, but they cannot use it in organic food manufacturing. They cannot use glyphosate. It'll be there just because it's in the rain, it's in the air, it's in the neighbor's farm. If, you, if, you, if your organic farm's next door to a non-organic farm and the guy is spraying it on his fields, you can't put a fence at the, at the gate and say, don't come across the boundary. So you can't um, fully, in our society today, you cannot completely avoid it, but you can cut considerably back on your burden, glyphosate burden, by eating an organic diet. And I really recommend doing that. Yeah, I highly recommend farmers markets as well and know your growers, get to know them so that you trust them as well that they're not spring. We're going to take a quick break and uh, we will be right back after this. You're listening to Naturally Recovering Autism and we're live on Bold Brave Media. Stay with us. We will be right back. Welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. And today we have Dr. Stephanie Seneff with us, who is an MIT professor who specializes in the herbicide uh, glyphosate. And this is something, if you were with us before the break, we were talking about how it's sprayed on our food crops and in our water sources as well, and that uh, we need to be very aware of this and where you can get um, get the healthiest foods and the foods that and know what ones are contaminated. And the things that we talked to again on this episode, I will link to at naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash SS for Stephanie Seneff. And um, we were talking a little, uh, a lot about the the health issues. We'd like to get into that a little bit. Monsanto has their own study that showed that glyphosate accumulates at the highest concentrations in the bone marrow, which later directly affects stem cells to affect then white blood cells. And the stem cells are precursors to cancer cells in the blood and the lymph and are precursors to leukemia and non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, as well as disrupting things like protein synthesis, which if you're not aware of that, it, it will affect the neurological system. And there is a correlation to the uh, the rise in use of glyphosate and the rise in autism. And Dr. Stanov, could you go into some of these health issues a little bit further for our listeners to explain some of that and the, the you know why that might be? Uh, yes. Um, you there? Yes. Hello? Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, so uh, Nancy Swanson is someone who uh, published a paper. I met her after Anthony and I published our first paper on glyphosate where we were hitting hard on the argument of it disrupting the gut microbiome, you know, causing uh, overgrowth of pathogens and killing off the beneficial bacteria, also chelating minerals, so preventing uh, the, the normal uh, circulation of minerals throughout the body leading to mineral deficiencies, and uh, particularly sulfur, which is one that I focus on. And then, um, and then also disrupting uh, enzymes in the liver that detoxify other toxic chemicals. So things like Tylenol become much more toxic in the presence of glyphosate and many other things. So you're, it's causing other things to be more toxic than they would otherwise be. Um, and you were talking, let's see, now what was it you asked me specifically was uh, the, the bone marrow and the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is amazing. And that's where we're getting a huge um, response uh, from uh, legal issues. There's a the, the famous, uh, now I hope people have heard about the uh, lawsuit that was just completed where the jury awarded the victim, uh, the plaintiff, uh, $289 million uh, in damages uh, 
due to his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that he got because he was spraying Roundup, Roundup on schoolyards. His job was to manage the schoolyards of, of the schools in, in his area, and he, uh, he, he had a couple of accidents where he spilled it on his skin, he ended up with a very severe skin rash, and eventually got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And um, he won of this large amount mostly because of Monsanto, because of revelations of Monsanto's misbehavior in terms of how they were hiding the evidence that their product causes non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And as you said, Monsanto's own studies had shown that it accumulates in the bone marrow. And uh, that's where these uh, lymph cells are, 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 they come out of their stem cells and they turn into these non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cells as a consequence of their exposure to glyphosate. So that makes sense. But there's a huge list of diseases that are going up dramatically right now in our society. Autism, of course, is one of them. Dramatic increase, exponential increase in autism. This is what has got me uh, originally involved in trying to figure out what was causing the autism epidemic. But there's a lot of other diseases as well, including Alzheimer's disease in the elderly and various cancers such as bladder cancer, thyroid cancer, uh, pancreatic cancer, these things are all going up exactly in step with the rise in the use of glyphosate on core crops. The correlations are amazing. There's also the obesity epidemic and the diabetes epidemic, also perfectly matched. And uh, other other diseases such as various inflammatory gut disease and rheumatoid arthritis. You know, we just have a huge list. Even brand new diseases that didn't used to exist, such as e eosinophilic esophagitis, which was first uh, recognized in the 1990s. I think it's a direct hit from glyphosate. So the question is, how could one chemical cause so many diseases? And most people, you know, we immediately, Nancy published this paper, Nancy Swanson, with some collaborators uh, a few, couple years back. And that paper is dramatic. She has over 30 uh, diagrams, figures, plots in her paper of, of disease incidents over time of all these different diseases and perfect correlations with p-values for the likelihood of it being by chance that have several zeros before the first decimal point. So extremely, extremely unlikely that these correlations could have occurred by chance. And then she got tremendous pushback, you know, saying oh, correlation doesn't mean causation. It became like a mantra. Correlation doesn't mean causation. The fact is that if all of these diseases are going up dramatically in, today, we need to understand why. Diseases don't just go up dramatically without a cause. And if you look for a cause and try to find something else besides glyphosate, you're going to fall short. So I could not find anything else besides glyphosate that could match anywhere near as well to the autism epidemic, which was the thing I was concerned about. And when I heard this two-hour lecture by, by Professor Don Huber several years back, I, I walked away a changed person. I mean, this was, I came in really confused. What is it that's causing this epidemic? Understanding there's a problem with the gut microbiome. I know that. Something's messing up the gut. What is it? and coming out with the clear answer that it's glyphosate. And I, I, at that point, I dropped everything else I was doing, and I just started pouring over papers on this chemical to understand how it could be so destructive. And I believe I have the answer, and the answer is really exotic. Glyphosate has an absolutely unique mechanism of toxicity that's slow and cumulative. So you don't get, you don't get hit over the head by it. You don't get a bellyache. You don't realize you're being poisoned because it's a slow kill. And the way it does it is through getting into your proteins by mistake in place of the coding amino acid glycine, very specific. It's the only chemical that does this. And very unique and very, very damaging because many proteins have glycine residues in them that absolutely have to be glycine in order for that protein to work properly. And when you swap out glycine and put in glyphosate in its place, you wreck that protein's ability to do its job. And so you can actually go through the research literature and find the pro proteins that are going to be most affected by this substitution. And when you do, you find 
for every single disease you find that's going up, you can find the proteins that would cause that disease by virtue of glyphosate disrupting that protein. It is really, really incredible. I've been like on a feeding frenzy, <laughs> finding all these papers and figuring out all these diseases, including non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. There's a very clear explanation for how glyphosate would cause non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And I've actually written it up, and it's going to show up, I hope, shortly on the web. It's not out yet, but I've written a, an, um, an article that's going to appear on an alternative medicine website shortly if all goes well. And you'll be able to read that uh, when it comes out. Okay, great. When when that does come out, maybe if you can send me an email and a, and a link, and I will add it to this page on my on my website, so everybody listening to the show can get this information too and some of those studies. And I know that I have your uh, your website um, address on that page as well. And there are other studies that you've done in the past that are linked to it, because right. I, I know. Some parents listening are, are aware that um, most children with autism, they have a problem with a disruption in protein synthesis, methylation and sulfation pathways, which are their detoxification, their um, their methyl groups are messed up, the methionine, all of these things, a lot of them have to do with detoxification, enzyme disruption. Um, kids with autism have all of these things, and and um, and you say that you've said that the now I'm gonna I'm gonna hopefully pronounce this right, but the shikimate pathway also becomes yeah. non-resistant to glyphosate. We've got to cut to a short break, but I want to get into this when we come back um, to to yeah. to help inform our listeners. So um, this is naturally recovering autism, and I'm your host Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Stay with us; we will be right back. So thank you for being with us today, and um, welcome back. This is Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media, and we have Dr. Stephanie Seneff, um, MIT professor who specializes in toxicology, toxic chemicals, micro, micronutrient deficiencies, and their relation to health and disease. And we were, we are talking about the, uh, the chemical glyphosate and how it's in our food and water sources and the health issues that are arising from it and there does seem to be a direct correlation between the rise in autism and many many other diseases and the increase in the use of glyphosate so um, we were talking a little bit how um, how about how it disrupts various parts of 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 the body um, and that actually something that happens is that our cells can become non-resistant to glyphosate. So would you um, talk about that a little bit, Dr. Seneff? Um, well, so I was going to get into shikimate pathway, which is the pathway yes. that Monsanto famously says is the one that glyphosate disrupts in plants to kill them. And that's a critical pathway in plants. It doesn't exist in human cells, and this is the argument that Monsanto uses to say that it's safe. It's a, it's, a, it's a sweet argument, but it's not true. And the reason why it's not true is because we have gut bacteria that depend on the shikimate pathway to produce uh, really important biological molecules that our own cells can't make because they don't have that pathway. So the pathway produces the aromatic amino acids. These are three core amino acids that are part of the building blocks of proteins, just like glycine is an amino acid. And glyphosate is a glycine analog but it disrupts this pathway at this critical point such that those amino acids become deficient. And those amino acids, one thing they're a precursor of is folate. And folate is the B vitamin that you need uh, for methylation. So kids who have methylation uh, defects, they have genetic defects that hurt their methylation pathway are especially susceptible to autism from glyphosate in part because of the uh, inner, uh, inability of the gut microbes to maintain the folate supply to the body. 
Um, but it's not just folate. Those, those aromatic amino acids are also precursors to many uh, neurotransmitters and hormones, including thyroid hormone, serotonin, melatonin, also the skin tanning agent, melanin. So you're going to be sensitive to the sun if you can't make melanin. And um, dopamine, which has been linked to autism as well. So all of these neurotransmitters are going to be affected by glyphosate. But worse than that, glyphosate also suppresses the synthesis of methionine. And methionine is a super important uh, sulfur-containing amino acid, acid. And it's the base of the whole sulfur system, the organic sulfur system. The gut microbes produce methionine from inorganic sulfur. And they do that, again, using a pathway that our cells don't have. So we depend upon our gut microbes to produce methionine for us, as well as the aromatic amino acids. And studies have shown in plants that methionine becomes deficient in the presence of glyphosate. Studies on E. coli have shown specific enzymes that get suppressed by glyphosate that are involved in the synthesis of methionine. So we end up with methionine deficiency, folate deficiency, deficiency in methylation capacity, which ends up with the brain being hypomethylated during development, and that's been linked to autism. So that's one pathway by which glyphosate could lead to autism through this disruption of the methylation pathway. But that also means disruption of the sulfur pathway because methionine has the sulfur I mentioned before. It can go to homocysteine and from there it can go to taurine and to sulfate. Taurine and sulfate are both deficient in autism. And taurine is stored in large amounts in the brain. And I think it plays a very significant role there as a sort of buffered supply of sulfate. Sulfate deficiency in the brain is a clear feature of autism, particularly of um, a molecule called heparin sulfate, which there's large amounts of it in the ventricles in the brain. And that heparin sulfate deficiency in the ventricles has been linked to autism both in humans and in mouse studies. In fact, there was a specific study on mice where the only defect the mice had was an inability to make heparin sulfate in the brain, localized to the brain. And these mice had all of the mouse version of the autism characteristics. It was quite remarkable, very specific effect that could induce autism in mice. So I think there's both the sulfate deficiency problem and the methylation deficiency problem that are key drivers behind the autistic brain. Yeah, it is amazing, too. I mean, the, the, the kids just seem like they have, you know, we have to completely support the detoxification pathways before you can even almost, you know, get their, you want to get their diet as clean as possible. But even with that, they start detoxifying and their body doesn't know how to detoxify very well because of these disruptions. And I've noticed too that um, like the first generation's exposure, say grandma, didn't really have any many visible effects. And then their daughter, so these kids' moms, like my generation maybe, the second generation, a little more visible. And then the third generation, our kids are getting where it's really bad. Like this is an accumulative yes. type of thing. I think there's an epigenetic uh, genetic effect going on there. And it's very, very interesting. There's a brand new paper that just came out really fascinating on mice. And they exposed the uh, pregnant mice to small doses of glyphosate, quite small doses, supposedly below the limit that would you'd worry about over their pregnancy and during lactation. And those mice were fine, and their offspring seemed to be fine as well. And the offspring grew up, and they produced uh, second-generation crops. And that's where you started to see the trouble. It was really quite amazing. And first of all, those offspring didn't produce as large a litter as they should have. They looked like they had a fertility problem. The, one, the first generation had a fertility problem. And their pregnancy had some issues with the placenta not being entirely healthy, with the, the baby, uh, the pup being uh, undersized, so slow growth in utero. But most important was that there was an incredibly high percentage of, of extremely rare ge genetic defects that were showing up in the third generation. In other words, the genome 
of the germ cells in the in the fetus of the original pregnant mice was being affected by the glyphosate during that exposure period, which was only during the pregnancy of the, of the grandparent, right? That embryo, the fetus develops its ovaries very early in the pregnancy. And those ovaries have the germ cells that are eventually going to become the eggs and the sperm, well, especially the eggs. So the female fetus has the entire set of eggs uh, long before she's born. And those eggs are being exposed to glyphosate and they're being damaged by it. And it's turning out with genetic defects in those eggs is due to that glyphosate exposure in utero that shows up in the next generation. Really a remarkable, remarkable study and very scary because I think it means we're going to have a, an alarming increase. We already have an increase and it's going to become even more dramatic in severe birth defects, you know, things like spina bifida, things like um, um, Siamese twins, you know, or defective um, bone development. I mean, just all kinds of bizarre things are going to start showing up in, um, in, the, in the future in higher yeah. amounts. It, it's uh, a, an interesting thing, thing too. Um, it, I know that you have suspected that glyphosate's working synergistically with vaccinations, and um, you yeah. have some infer- interesting information on that. We need to uh, cut for a short break, and we will be right back. This is Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media with Dr. Stephanie Seneff. Stay with us. We will be right back. Hi, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. Today, we have Dr. Stephanie Seneff with us, uh, MIT professor who specializes in toxic chemicals, and we are talking about the uh, the pesticide, uh, an herbicide called Round, uh, in Roundup, called glyphosate, which is uh, in our food and water sources, and what we need to be aware of um, because of the health, health issues and risks involved with it. And just before the break, Dr. Stanoff, I had mentioned um, you had talked about glyphosate working synergistically a little bit with vaccinations that could possibly be causing harm to today's children as well. That could help, you know, possibly be a factor in increasing this autism epidemic and other health and diseases that we're seeing. Um, So can you give us a little information on, on what you have about that? Very remarkable, actually, and very terrifying, in my opinion. It's actually mm-hmm. two different studies by Zen Honeycutt of Moms Across America and also by Anthony Samso, who's been collaborating with me on several papers that we've written together on glyphosate. And both of them independently tested several different mm-hmm. vaccines to see if glyphosate was present in the glass vaccine. And actually, Zen did it on, I suggested to her that it might be there and that it would be something to look into. And she took the initiative to, to actually test for it. And sure enough, it was found specifically in the live virus vaccine. So it was not found in all the vaccines, but it was found in the ones that had a characteristic that the live virus was grown on a medium that contained gelatin, or it could contain fetal bovine serum, which is like the blood from a fetus of a a cow, you know, young cow. And um, I think that gelatin may be a really critical uh, problem because gelatin is uh, derived from the bones and the ligaments of the uh, cows and pigs. And the cows and pigs are fed heavy doses of glyphosate in their GMO Roundup-ready feed. And as we've said before, glyphosate goes into the bone. It accumulates in the bone. And so uh, collagen is in the bone, and collagen has tons of glycine in it. Every third uh, residue, it goes GXY, 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 where X and Y are wild card, different amino acids. But G is always glycine. Every third amino acid in the chain is a glycine residue. And that it needs to be that way in order to form the crystalline structure that gives it its its physical properties that make it so useful in the bone and in the joints to maintain healthy bones and joints. 
So the collagen is getting glyphosate substituted in, and there's a whole story, side story on that with respect to all the issues people are having today with um, joint and bone pain, ending up with on an opioid drug and getting addicted to it. You know, all of that, I think, is connected to the problems with glyphosate and the collagen. But when you take the collagen, break it down into the individual amino acids to make gelatin, you end up with free glyphosate because you're breaking down the protein and releasing that glyphosate. And that glyphosate is getting taken up by the live virus that's growing on that gelatin, and it's getting incorporated into the virus's protein, and in particular getting incorporated into hemagglutinin, which is a protein that the measles virus produces. And that's the protein that you need to get an immune reaction to if the vaccine takes. So you inject an MMR vaccine. That one, by the way, had the highest levels by far of all the vaccines that were tested, MMR. You inject the vaccine. You inject the glyphosate along with the measles virus. The measles virus produces this hemagglutinin that's contaminated with glyphosate, very, very hard to break down and very, very allergenic. And so you get an overabundant response. You're supposed to get an antibody response. That's going to allow you to, to quickly uh, clear the measles next time you're exposed. That's the whole point of the vaccine. But the autistic kids get a response that's too high. This has been shown in studies going back to the 1990s. They have an over-enthusiastic uh, response to the MMR hemagglutinin to produce an overabundance of antibodies. And in particular, they produce those antibodies in the brain, which is abnormal. Normally, the brain's immune system is shielded from the virus, but the virus gets into the brain. And that probably is also due to the glyphosate because glyphosate opens up barriers. It opens up the gut barrier, opens up the brain barrier, and opens up the placenta barrier such that all of these things can freely get in. So the virus infects the brain. The brain's immune system develops antibodies to the hemagglutinin, and they become autoantibodies to myelin basic protein, which is an incredibly important protein in the myelin sheath, which coats the nerve fibers, which is critical for the communication among the nerves. So you basically end up with an autoimmune attack on the nerve fibers in the brain, which is associated with autism. Autism is associated with an inflammatory brain condition, a chronic inflammation in the brain where the immune cells are attacking the nerve fibers, which is preventing them from be able to, being able to transmit signals. And that's why the brain doesn't work, because the signals are not being properly transmitted. So I think that's a beautiful story. It, it fits perfectly. It explains why MMR would call, cause autism. And, of course, there's a lot of mothers who claim that my child was fine until they got that MMR vaccine. And after that, they started you know, regressing into autism. I think it makes perfect sense, and I think it's what's going on. And it's really terrifying, in my right. opinion. And with the increase in um, vaccination numbers on the CDC schedules, there has been a correlation uh, that's very, very similar follows along with the, the increase in the autism epidemic as well. And it's it, the, question, the question rises if you know this. And it's been seen that uh, the MMR, you know, vaccination contains glyphosate. And why why don't they look at at possibly growing those uh, those live viruses in something that is at least non toxic to take a one step in the oh, right yeah. direction? For example, <laughs> organic gelatin. Now I'm hoping that they are secretly listening to this and saying, "Oh my gosh, we better change our practices." They're not going to admit, you know, they they, they don't dare admit. But they may quietly change the manufacturing processes such that the MMR no longer has glyphosate. I'm sort of hoping they'll do that. You right. know, so, and it would make sense that they should, right. but they're not going to want to tell us that that's what happened. They just, so let's won't, just won't want to admit that. Put a quiet um, shout out to them that the they don't have oh, to tell us, just do it. Aluminum glyphosate, where the aluminum glyphosate binds very nicely to aluminum. Two glyphosate molecules will surround the aluminum get rid of its possibly charge, which makes it easier for the aluminum to get past barriers. So the glyphosate, so there's aluminum in some of the other vaccines. Those are the ones that did not contain glyphosate. 
pretty consistently, if it had aluminum, it did not contain glyphosate. But there's glyphosate in the blood. So if the aluminum is injected into the body, and then it's it, the aluminum um, atoms get surrounded by glyphosate, the glyphosate will carry that aluminum up into the brainstem and then drop it off in the acidic environment because the, the pH goes down. And when the pH goes down, aluminum glyphosate uh, loses its ability to bind to metals. So the glyphosate can just carry the aluminum right into the brain and drop it off. For example, the pineal gland. I believe the pineal gland is getting uh, badly affected by aluminum in general in our environment, but aluminum in particular with respect making that worse. Wow. And that and is the pineal- sleep disorder, which is another one of the epidemics that's going up in step with glyphosate usage. So many people are having trouble with sleep disorder these days. And with the pineal gland getting destroyed by the aluminum and by the glyphosate, you know, there's, uh, it can't make the uh, melatonin that you need to uh, promote sleep. And melatonin right. is also a problem with shikimate pathway, so that's another way in which that's going to get disrupted. Well, yeah, and hormone disruption as well, which is another biggie. we got to take a, a short break here real quick. Um, this is Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media. And we're talking with Dr. Stephanie Seneff today on glyphosate. And we're going to take a short break, and we will be right back. Stay with Welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm your host, Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. And today we have Dr. Stephanie Seneff with us, who is an MIT professor from uh, that is specializing in toxic chemicals and the effects that they have on our health, including autism and what what we're mainly talking about today is glyphosate, which is a chemical in our foods. And before the break, Dr. Senef, you were talking about um, there was some evidence that you have about glyphosate and how it's affecting, uh, was it protein synthesis or cells? Or yeah. what was it that you right. were well, getting with? Yeah, yeah. The fact that it's getting into proteins by mistake in place of glycine, which is a totally unique thing to glyphosate that nothing else does. And there's, I think there's significant evidence that this is happening. And one of the most dramatic evidence comes from the actual shikimate pathway and the enzyme that it disrupts, because that enzyme is called EPSP synthase. And it has a glycine residue that's highly conserved at the place where a substrate called PEP binds. It fits into a pocket that's created by the protein. And that pocket has a glycine along its edge. And if you replace that glycine with glyphosate, the glyphosate will stick out into the pocket and prevent the PEP from getting, gaining access. And they know that glyphosate disrupts that protein precisely by disrupting that PEP from getting into that site. They also have found that multiple species of plants and multiple species of microbes have independently discovered that if they change the code, the DNA code for that protein to get rid of that glycine and replace it with alanine, which is the smallest change you can make, one extra methyl group, they take a hit because PEP doesn't, PEP doesn't fit quite as well, but it becomes completely resistant to glyphosate at any level. And I think this is like the most dramatic evidence we have that glyphosate is in fact substituting for glycine during protein synthesis, which is the really cool thing that it does. It makes it so devastating to our biology. So it, it takes glycine and, and replaces that. Yeah, it just goes in. It gets assembled as if it were glycine. The, the assembly makes a mistake. The assembly machinery makes a mistake. When it's looking for glycine to put in next by the code, the DNA code codes for glycine. And it says, oh, here's a glycine molecule, which it is. It's a complete glycine molecule. But it has an extra thing attached to its nitrogen. And the code and the machinery that's doing it doesn't notice that extra stuff. And it goes ahead and puts it in anyway, making a mistake. And that extra stuff makes all the difference because it messes up that protein's performance. It messes up the way it works. 
And this is how you can cause Alzheimer's as well, by the way. There's exactly, there's glycine residues in the Alzheimer's plaque. And they know those glycines are the source of the trouble for the Alzheimer's plaque if they don't understand why they misbehave. And it causes the protein to misfold. And when that, and then you, it get, you get this precipitated plaque that's associated with Alzheimer's disease. I think it's glyphosate wow. glycine in that amyloid beta plaque. Right. Well, and if there's aluminum's binding to glyphosate, we we know that. Uh, but then in Alzheimer's, aluminum is is a big yes. part of the the plaque problem there as well. Absolutely, and that's a good point because the glyphosate is in the protein and it binds to the aluminum in the protein, and you see the aluminum in the plaque. That's because the glyphosate has this negative charge; it binds to the aluminum. Right. Well, so that makes sense as well. Yeah. So okay. So we have given the audience a lot of sort of scary news, but. Um, there, there are some things that we can do to protect ourselves and um, some solutions. Um, I, I talk more about how the gut controls the brain and 80% of the immune system is in the gut and give you some more in a free workshop that I do and I'll link to it. It's naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash free workshop. So you can kind of learn a little bit more about the gut. But Dr. Senev, what do you what do you say that, um, what do you find is, uh, is important to protect people from glyphosate exposure and mitigate it from our bodies? Yeah, I mean, there are ways that you can improve your diet to help you to be able to uh, fight off glyphosate. And one really interesting way is to eat um, probiotics that contain acetobacter. Acetobacter is one of the very few microbes that can actually metabolize glyphosate and totally make it completely harmless, take it away, basically, break it down into useful molecules. So acetobacter is found in, for example, Bragg's organic apple cider vinegar, which I highly recommend. Uh, organic vinegar in general doesn't have to be Bragg's, and it doesn't, you know, it could be, I suspect, balsamic vinegar if it's organic, but definitely you want to get organic. Work a vinegar into your diet. You know, use, make your own salad dressing with organic vinegar. Um, and there's other things like, you know, kimchi and um, kombucha. Those also probably contain these acetobacter. So, so eating these organic foods, sauerkraut definitely has it, um, that are sort of the sour-tasting um, uh, fermented foods have this acetobacter that can actually metabolize the glyphosate. So I think that's a huge thing to do. Um, I recommend a high sulfur diet because, as I said, glyphosate disrupts sulfur. If you're exposed to glyphosate, you could have sulfur sensitivities. So you're going to have to first get rid of the glyphosate before you can handle the sulfur um, because glyphosate disrupts the enzymes that deal with sulfur. So you can get sulfite toxicity because glyphosate is disrupting the ability to turn sulfite into organic sulfur, such as methionine. Um, so high sulfur diet, I recommend a, um, a diet that's high in um, micronutrients. So you want to eat foods. First of all, you want to eat whole foods. You want to eat organic foods and they want to be whole foods. You don't want to eat processed foods because you don't know what kind of stuff is going to be in the processed foods, not just glyphosate, but all kinds of other chemicals. Whole foods, so we recognize the food because it's, you know, very little processing. And a lot of cruciferous vegetables is good because they contain a lot of, uh, of um, sulfur. Cruciferous vegetables. I love garlic. So if you like garlic, use it tremendously in your cooking. And in general, herbs and spices are good. Uh, also, sort of colorful fruits and vegetables, polyphenols and flavonoids are these interesting molecules that uh, can help to transport sulfate. And sulfate deficiency is a key driver behind autism. So you want to really promote sulfate help. So I also recommend then soaking in Epsom salt baths because Epsom salts are magnesium sulfate. And you can actually get sulfate supplied through the skin by soaking it up uh, right, right directly from the bath water. So Epsom salt baths are a good idea. I also recommend lots of sunlight exposure to the skin and to the eyes without sunscreen and without sunglasses. And this is because the, uh, the cells in the skin and the cells in, in the pineal gland, which is behind the eyes, can actually make sulfate um, 
in response to sunlight. Sunlight catalyzes the synthesis of sulfate, and in particular cholesterol sulfate in the skin and in the and in the eyes. And the cholesterol sulfate is super super important as a um, supplier of both cholesterol and sulfate, both of which are crucial for the brain health. The brain needs cholesterol and needs sulfate, so you can get those very nicely. The skin can manufacture the correct cholesterol, manufacture the sulfate, and put those two together and release them into the circulation and supply them to the body. So really, really uh, healthy. Great. That was a lot of really helpful information. And I know, as you mentioned, some of the phenols and the sulfur sensitivities and children with autism have those sensitivities. So it is important to help remove some of that glyphosate so that they can handle the things that they they need and they don't become overloaded with them and toxic. It's this, you know, sort of catch-22. So... um, There are some things that you can do about that, and I will link to those on my website as well. Uh, We need to take a short break, and uh, we will be right back. This is Naturally Recovering Autism. Please stay with us. Hi, and welcome back to Naturally Recovering Autism. I am your host, Karen Thomas, and we are coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and TuneIn Radio. And uh, today we have Dr. Stephanie Seneff with us. We've been talking about glyphosate and uh, the dangers around it and the health issues regarding it and its association with autism and the increase in autism. And also we gave some solutions in the last uh, segment about what you can do to help prevent uh, more exposure to glyphosate. Of course, you know, some of the, the vegetables you can eat, some of the, you know, of course, eating organic foods always, um, doing your best to get your food sources as clean and your water sources. It's water soluble. Water sources, I did an episode uh, a while back, it's in the archives um, and at naturallyrecoveringautism.com, you'll find um, the, the episode on water. Um, there is a new filter by Robert Slovak that will help to get that out of your water, get glyphosate out of your water um you'll find all the links on this episode naturallyrecoveringautism.com forward slash ss for stephanie senef and we did talk about a lot of things um moms across america we've mentioned that a couple times they're an organization that started from one mom who found that her child had some symptoms of autism and she changed the diet and the symptoms went away so she realized and found that it was from uh, exposure to glyphosate and so uh, she you can get a lot of information about how you can help uh, Uh, educate people on this as well Uh, share this episode it'll be in the archives here on my show at bold brave media naturally recovering autism it will be on my radio link on my website always naturally recovering autism.com forward slash radio show where you can link into all future shows you can get um, uh, sign up to be uh, get reminders about them as well and I will link to uh, the things that Dr. Senef had mentioned as well, including her website. Is there anything else that you would like to add before we uh, wrap up today, Dr. Senef? Well, it's been uh, delightful talking to you. I think we covered a lot of topics. Uh, there's clearly a lot more. My website has a tremendous amount of material on it, very dry, but there's uh, links to my papers as well as to various slide presentations. And um, I've done, um, there's also a lot of other uh, podcasts and whatnot with me that you can find if you just search my name. My last name is sufficiently rare that if you can remember S-E-N-E-F-F and type that into a search engine, you'll find all kinds of stuff. Or into YouTube, you'll find various uh, interviews and whatnot because I've I've done this a lot of times. I'm really trying hard to get my message out. I think it's absolutely crucial. I feel very excited that we figured out what's causing autism. It's just a matter now of having to solve the problem. So Hopefully, the word will get out, and I encourage people to buy organic food, even if you're just 
helping to support the farmers to grow organic food because the, uh, there's a real crisis with food right now. Glyphosate, there's a lot of glyphosate-resistant weeds, and so they're, they're putting in new chemicals now. They're putting them back, some of these that are supposed to be much more toxic than glyphosate, such as 2,4-D mm. and dicamba. These are going to show up in our food as well, and who knows what's going to happen when we start getting synergistic toxicity among all these different herbicides. We need to find a different way to do agriculture. If you're a farmer, think about going organic if you haven't already. And if you're an organic farmer, thank you so much for what you do. It's the most important work on this planet right now, I believe, is growing organic food. Absolutely. And people growing their own gardens, they don't always have time. But I do see more and more that, you know, even mainstream grocery stores are having like, they'll have a gluten free section or they'll have a, um, which doesn't always mean organic, but it does. And they'll have organic sections because we are the consumers. We women control 90% of the food market and the, the retail space. And so if you're not purchasing those chemical-based foods, they're not going to make the money. And when and they want to make the money. So the best way to do it is to support your organic farmers, buy organic food, and um, and, and help show that you you now are knowledgeable about this. And that, I, I believe, is why it's already started changing in some of the mainstream stores. So I'm going to, um, we need to wrap up for today. Thank you so much, Dr. Senna, for being here with us today. Greatly appreciate your help, your expertise, the research that you're doing, helping to share um, the science behind this for people who have possibly been skeptical. And um, I'm going to go on to my YouTube station, uh, site, Naturally Recovering Autism, live right after this show and talk a little bit about what we're going to do for next week's show. So join me there. Thank you for being with us today. This is Naturally Recovering Autism. I'm Karen Thomas, and we're coming to you live from Bold Brave Media and we will see you next time.